up, everybody? This is Tyler. This is Danny. And this is episode... God, we just said it. 104. 103. 103. That's right. I was thinking four, because it's been 99 episodes <laughs> since the last time we've touched this franchise. Jeez, I know, right? We've had 99 episodes, and a Phantasm hasn't been one. <laughs> Not until today. That's right. Phantasm 2, coming back with the tall man, taking a break in between rounds of the test your fright, because they all want to go on. I'm excited about that, dude. I'm glad that they did. Some part of me wanted one of them to tap at least, but it's okay. Round two. You know, we'll talk about it more next week. I'm not even sure if any of them will tap at this point, but it just seems to be getting more and more interesting as it goes on. So we'll see what happens. <laughs> I'm hoping that continues with the second round. But no doubt. Let's see. Before we get into Phantasm 2, how you been? You got anything? Yeah, I've been pretty good. haven't really been up to a whole lot. Let's see. I did get one of the films that we're going to introduce in round two, so oh, I picked up a copy yeah. of that. I might buy a copy of that, too, before we actually get to that film. That's fucking sweet. Yeah, there's some really dope versions of it. I just got the double-disc DVD edition. Grand House, I think it was. Yeah, yeah. that's Cannibal Holocaust, right? Yeah. Yep. yeah, yeah. And let's see, I've got the remake of Herschel Gordon-Lewis's The Words of Gore, but this one's starring Crispin Glover. And Beju Phillips, and if I'm not mistaken, I believe... Which it, it has been 100 episodes since we covered. I know, it's Jesus. <laughs> yeah, I'm looking forward to watching that, so I picked up a couple of movies just off eBay, just kind of hung out for the most part this weekend. How about yourself? Haven't done a whole lot lately. Did some cleaning up this weekend. Not too much of anything, really. <laughs> Sitting around the house, playing video games, that sort of bullshit, so... Yeah, that's kind of what I've been doing. It feels like this weekend's flown by and that I've had to do a lot, but as I'm sitting here thinking back on it, either I'm a lot more stoned than I think I am, or I didn't actually do that much this weekend. <laughs> <laughs> no, I know what you mean. It does feel like the weekend's kind of flown by. I did catch the latest episode of True Detective last night, so, I mean, as far as... Things that are, as of now, that's pretty much what I've been up to. Man, I'm interested in that third season, it's but good. I haven't gotten around to watching it yet. So Yeah, I've been enjoying it. It's a really cool story. Good acting, kind of a slow burn, but I'm looking forward to seeing how it pans out for the rest of the series. But yeah, as far as his personal stuff, that's pretty much it. Just been excited. And, you know, we've been churning out some ideas for upcoming episodes of Jafar, because that was a lot of fun. Yeah, the ideas just keep popping up. Know, it sounds right? like... We're going to be doing a lot of Jafar this year, so I'm excited. If about you that. enjoy that, you guys, please stay tuned for more info and all the other shit that's going to be coming up. And if you don't know what Jafar is, please go check it out on YouTube. Just a friendly reminder: J A F R. We're pretty much the few videos. If you type that in, that is not Arabic. Yeah, yeah. If it's Arabic, it's not us. Which is funny because when you mention it, people are like, oh, you mean Disney's Aladdin? Jafar? Yeah, Jafar? Like, no, no, just a friendly <laughs> no, <dog>. reminder. <laughs> just a friendly reminder, it's J-A-F-R. That's pretty awesome. But it's like a training video meets Tim and Tim Eric, and Eric <laughs> basically. Bits of Lynch. Oh, yeah, no doubt. And especially, a lot of our influences. where things are going. Oh, yeah, big in a big, bad way, which is fun. I'm not going to give away too many spoilers. No, no, no not, not yet. we no got to keep them coming. But I, th I think there's a couple really Lynchian things coming up. But Yeah, it's going to be awesome, man. I'm and looking forward to some it. some Kubrickian things. Yeah, that's for sure. <laughs> yeah, that's absolutely... Oh, my... I'm so excited. <laughs> um, anyway, this doesn't have to be Jafar cast, so... <laughs> yeah, exactly. But no, we talked about it last week, too, mm -hmm. that a lot of our friends that are in Jafar have been a part of the show. So, you know, it's still relevant. What were we saying? 
Oh, we're just kind of talking about Jafar and what we've been up to and all that good stuff. Yeah. Oh, man, that's going to be great. Yeah, YouTube, Jafar. Do you have your top threes? Not off the top of my head. Actually, I do know my top threes, but I didn't write them down. Okay. But it'll be easy to talk about. Okay. Because I, I, I just remember, well, I was looking down at my notes, and I'm like, oh, I did do something. And I had to think of my two top three lists <laughs> because we said that we were going to do that this episode. Exactly. So before we get into Phantasm... We'll do that, but I think before we get into that, do you have any news? Because I actually found a couple things that I thought were kind of interesting. Yeah, I sure did. So I'll start off, unfortunately, on a sour note because somebody in the makeup world of horror films has recently passed away. So unfortunately, that person is Matt Rose. They are a makeup effects artist, and probably most notably, he was known for helping with the iconic makeup for the title character in GDT's Hellboy, Mm. and he also sculpted the Monster Squad's Gilman, so unfortunately he has passed away. Some of his other credits include some powerhouses, so some of those films include Aliens. He was the creature effects crew. Wait, so if he did Hellboy, did he also do Abe Sapien? I think he was only credited for Gilman. I would think it would be funny if he worked on Hellboy and had already made Gilman. I know what you're saying. And they yeah. don't, didn't have him help out on Abe Sapien. But <laughs> anyway, keep going with his credits. No yeah. worries. <laughs> yeah, so he's also known for Invaders from Mars. He helped with the special makeup effects on that. Harry and the Hendersons, he was a sculptor on that project. He was a creature effects unit member on the film Predator. In Beetlejuice, he was a special makeup effects artist. Fright Night Part 2, he helped with additional sculptors. Gremlins Part 2, he was a part of the Creature Crew. If you've seen the film Ed Wood, he helped with the Bella Lugosi makeup, which is pretty dope. He was a special effects crew member on the film Wolf, Batman Forever. He was the head sculptor. Men in Black 3, he helped with the key makeup artist. And more recently, he was in the updated version of The Predator. He was a part of the Creature effects crew, so... Big hitter in the world of special makeups effects. They say, basically, if you don't know who he is, he's one of the leading makeup effects artists in his field. Specifically, sculpting, too, is where he's more or less known for. But, like I said, unfortunately, it is a part of the show that we do talk about. He has passed away, so that was kind of relevant, especially with all those films I just mentioned. So on some upbeat news, there's a couple of things that that was kind of neat. So we're fans of Blumhouse. We've covered several of their films at this point. I did read that Lee Wanell, who we've covered in Saw. Ooh, I think you're about to mention some of the news that I had, too, because... It's pretty big news. I was going to bring it up in a more negative way. Lee Wanell and... Blumhouse. Are going to be doing the Invisible Man movie. Yeah. I was going to bring it up because the way they announced it, also officially put an end to Universal's Dark Universe that they were oh, trying I see to you're do. Saying, yeah. So in two different regards, it can be looked at as a good thing and, of course, a bad thing. I mean, honestly, they never got that Dark Universe off the ground. So it's yeah. probably a good thing that they're trying to scrap forcing that idea. Yeah, just, just let it happen organically. Yeah. If it's going to happen, yeah, let it happen organically. But I don't think it needs to happen. I think it's kind of a fun idea because the Universal Monsters were a shared universe, I think. Technically, I think so. I mean, with the crossovers that happened yeah, we later talked about and that. stuff. So it's kind of neat that they were a shared universe, but you don't need to force that just because Marvel's had such success. I agree. Yeah, like I said, some things are just better when they come homegrown and, you know, just let it come naturally is what I'm trying to say. 
But yeah, that was kind of neat. So some other news that I'd like to share is we're fans of Wu-Tang, right? Wu-Tang. So I did see that the Wu-Tang Clan's Ghostface Killer, the RZA, and Sean Reddick of Impossible Dream Entertainment, they're going to be producing Angel of Dust, which is a suspense horror thriller. The Wu-Tang leader, RZA, he's going to direct. So that was kind of neat, man, that they're going to have Ghostface Killer. He's going to be helping with the script. Okay. So, I mean, this is going to be their baby, man. That's going to be interesting. See, I'm unabashedly a fan of The Man with Iron Fists. Yeah, dude. Like, that's because I really like kung fu movies. And it is, like, 100% an old-school kung fu movie through and through. Like, beat for beat, (laughs) everything feels perfectly jawed on. But that's because RZA is kind of like a walking encyclopedia when it comes to kung fu movies, apparently. You know what's kind of neat about that? And this is kind of on the same thing we're talking about here. Is I I was watching some of those videos of Nardwar. I don't Mm -hmm. know if you know that is or not. No. But he's like this Canadian. He digs like some really interesting things about artists, whether they're musicians or actors, you know, what have you, if they're in the entertainment industry. He knows something specific to you that's like, how the hell do you know this? But anyway... He was with Wu-Tang, and he was asking Riz about all these different posters that he had of kung fu movies, and he could tell you A through Z what was going on in that film, kind of like what we do. (laughs) Yeah, from what I understand, he's watched like two kung fu movies a week for like the past 30 years. I believe it. After hearing just, hey, here's a random poster from the 1970s, and he'll tell you who the actor was, who directed it. It's just on and on. But that's fucking dope. I mean, they're true to their form. And I mean, those references are all through Wu-Tang, too. Like, I mean, just the name, Wu-Tang Clan. Anyway, we're not going to get into all the kung fu of it, but I trusted him when it came to kung fu. Now, I don't know these guys' background (laughs) with horror. Yeah. I doubt that they're as heavily versed as they are with kung fu, as you just mentioned. But, you know, maybe they are. And be a pleasant surprise. It's just, I don't know. But, like, I trusted him when it came to Kung Fu because I already knew that about him. I was like, cool. I think it's the work ethic, too. Like, he seems like if he's focused on a subject, he wants to know everything about it. Oh, dude. He pretty much made all of those guys. So, I'll I'll trust the RZA. Like, I'll I'll watch whatever he puts out. But The RZA. The Jizza. I'm just not as, like... I don't know. I, know I don't go in. I'm not going into this knowing that it's going to be something that I'm for sure going to like when it's all said and done. No doubt. So, yeah, we'll find out, man. And, you know, hopefully he'll prove us in the positive light in this situation. Mm-hmm. So we'll see what happens. All right. So for people who are fans of Ghostbusters. Bobby Digital. Anyway. <laughs> Jason Reitman, he is going to be directing the upcoming Ghostbusters. And it has gotten the age light 2020 date. And this one sticks more so to, like, the Bill Murray and Dan Aykroyd and, yeah, Reitman. Yeah, uh, his father, Ivan Reitman. Jason Reitman is arguably the world's first Ghostbuster fan because he was a (laughs) six-year-old boy growing up on that set. That's pretty awesome, isn't it? Could you imagine? Right? Fucking huge movie from the 80s, man. I actually just saw where they were putting out for some casting news, and it seems like the four new leads are all going to be kids. Like young kids? Yeah. Oh, damn, that'd be pretty interesting. Like, possibly, like, preteen. Like, we're talking, oh, like, it like it ages. Or, like, cool. going right into puberty. Kind of coming sort of, of age. Yeah, coming of age. Yeah. Huh. It, it kind of seems like that, based on some of the casting that they just put out today, some of the casting calls. That's pretty that's awesome. might seem what they're going for. Huh. That's pretty awesome, man. Yeah, this is exciting. Like I said, that's one of those franchises I grew up watching. I have seen the newer one. It's not bad, you know? It's just not great. I mean... It- don't I, expect it and to be I'm the not, original, right? I didn't go in trying to hate on it, too. No, no. I think every single one of those women are fucking funny. Yeah. And Hemsworth absolutely. is one of the most charming men on earth. <laughs> 
And when you put all that talent together, that movie should have been a oh, yeah. hundred times Bonkers. better than what it turned out being. <laughs> you know, just the way it goes sometimes. Mm-hmm. But I've got like three other interesting bits, I suppose. So the director who did 7852, and his name is Alexandre Ophelipe. He is announcing that he's working with William Friedkin on an Exorcist documentary. So it's like, ah, oh, that'd be pretty dope. Yeah. So, you know, there's some news concerning that. That was interesting. We're mm-hmm. big fans. You know, I know your dad was... Uh... Super scared of the Exorcist. <laughs> I've got a lot of family members that have history with that. So Guess that's... who wouldn't make it through Test Your Fright? Oh, shoot. My father. <laughs> <laughs> I Nothing wrong with that, man. All right. Another director that we have covered... Jennifer Kent is working on, quote-unquote, something scary with GDT. This is an exclusive, so I was like, that is kind of cool. Seeing them team up, perhaps whether it's with the show or with the movie, we'll see what happens, but it has been announced. Hopefully it's somebody throwing money at one of those like 14 projects or whatever it was that we talked about that he has just sitting waiting to be made, yeah, like fully no developed shit. scripts, because every single one of that. them sounded amazing yeah that would be kind of neat to bring on directors of that kind Mm -hmm. of caliber and say hey here's several projects they're just waiting for a home i actually have two news updates though they're both about the same guy but i I still found it was kind of interesting especially because one of them is tied into something that we've covered there's a little bit of news from clive barker on his official website about the nightbreed tv series it sounds like they're getting in the writing room together nice There's a few directors interested. He mentioned a director being pulled into the writing room, which that's not a problem, but usually shows have more than one director. Yeah, for sure. And so I'm wondering if this is the director that's going to direct the pilot, which will set the tone for the show, and then maybe stick around as like a producer showrunner. That makes sense. Yeah, I can see that. Because on the same kind of page with that, True Detective, I've noticed there's a couple of directors actually... One in particular that we have covered, but it tends that they'll shoot a few episodes, yeah, and then somehow they're... The most important director in TV is the one that makes the first episode. Oh, yeah. Because that sets the tone, and all the other directors kind of have to follow that same tone, or else the show becomes unrecognizable. Yeah, it becomes a completely different show at that point, or completely skews Mm -hmm. away from, yeah. That That being said... From everything I've heard about the TV process, the role of director is a lot less important than it is for, like, film. Oh, yeah. Because you switch out directors. In film, that's the final go-to, but with TV, like, <laughs> the cast are the ones there. Not just the cast, but the right. crew Yeah, like are the ones on doing every episode. The director is only there It's almost like a guest appearance, yeah. you know what I mean? It's like, hey, cut me a check. <laughs> I'll operate the camera. It is a lot different in television and in film. But it sounds like they're getting that all together. They're going to start laying out the overall story beats, but he was very positive that everyone is sort of on the same page, that they want to make it feel like the movie and like the book. Nice. And he also had an update about they're doing the Books of Blood TV series. Nice. And that seems like it might be a little bit further along, but maybe not much. But it also seems to be going very smoothly. He mentioned that there's probably going to be a number of original stories adapted by him for it that are sort of in the same vein of the Books of Blood. He's like, I did this 30 years ago, so it's not like I've stopped having these ideas. So the world's different now. I can update some of these ideas 
some of these ideas I can just do again in a whole new way because it's a new world. And, you know, I can also have all new ideas, but just sort of play it in the same theme and the same feel I was going for when I wrote the Books of Blood. Yeah. So. Awesome, dude. Yeah, anytime Clive Barker's working on a project, man, that's always good news. And he very specifically mentioned doing, like, a monster episode. Nice, hell yeah. Because Rawhead Rex was a straight-ahead, like, monster story. And he's like, I want to do a monster story again, so we're going to get a monster episode. Yeah, which that just recently got a Blu-ray release, so (laughs) just kind of goes to show, man. Cool. But that's all I have for news. I have one more little bit of news. So I did mention this, I think it was... Might have been earlier this month, but there is a UK distributor, Second Sight Films. They have officially announced that they're bringing George A. Romero's Dawn of the Dead to Blu-ray, and it'll be joined by Romero's Martin. So expect that sometime a little bit later on this year. But, dude, I mentioned like Dawn of the Dead. If you try to find that on Blu-ray right now, especially here in the States, mm-hmm. you're going to spend a nice little penny. And it's nice to see that it's getting a Blu-ray. It's getting probably a nicer, cleaner version, I would mm-hmm. hope. Yeah, so that way you don't have to come out of the pocket with it. <laughs> Big yeah. box. Nothing against it. Obviously an amazing movie. I'm probably not going to be adding it to my own collection unless I edit it digitally. That's yeah. not one that I necessarily have to uh, own a hard copy of. But well, I am glad that it's going to be available for yeah, all the people exactly. that do want it. Because yeah, like I'm I said, that shit gonna get <laughs> gets annoying sometimes. Oh, I can understand, man. Martin's another one, too. Like, I've got the DVD of it. Love mm-hmm. that film. It'll be nice to see it cleaned up on Blu-ray. So, yeah, those are probably two. Somewhere down the road I'll eventually get. But, yeah, I'm looking forward to it, man. But outside of that, that pretty much covers, like I said, what I've been up to. Some news bits I found interesting pertaining to the show. You know, we talked about Jafar. I'm really excited about today's episode for all kinds of different reasons. Yeah, we can get to those. Let's do our 2018 list first. Okay. Now that we're in 2019, we're not too far past. Like, you'll be listening to this, and it's only like a month past it, the end of 2018, so... Yeah, it's still kind of relative in sort. Yeah, yeah. in a way. You can find out what we thought. Anyway, one of the lists had to be related to horror. That was the only stipulation. Otherwise, what's your first top three list? I'll go straight to horror because that one's a little bit easier. So my top three for last year, and for me, it is very subjective, but one, two, three, probably in that order, I would go Hereditary was my number one last year. Then I would follow up with Suspiria. And then right behind it, I'm going to kind of go a little bit (laughs) far from convention. I was a real big fan of Summer of 84. Oh, yeah. Cool. Even though, like, I enjoy the shit out of Mandy, I wouldn't necessarily call it horror. It's more like fantasy, you know, yeah. to me. Dark it has fantasy. elements. Yeah, it has elements of horror, but it's not a through-and-through horror film in, in, you know, the way I view it. But, yeah, those are my three horror films from last year. I'll probably toss the question back to you and then start my second one here in yeah. a moment. So, for me, I didn't watch... A lot of horror this year outside what we did on the show, mm-hmm. which I've always fessed up to in the past anyway. Yeah. It's not like it's any big surprise. Most of my free time is watching fucking comic book shit. So my top three is my top three favorite movies that we covered on the show in oh, the cool. past year. Or in 2018, yeah, not yeah, the yeah. past year, because that would include, you know... This month. Like, yeah. <laughs> I realize that we did them all kind of early on, and that's not to say anything bad about movies that we've covered recently. It's just like looking back on them, these are the ones that still stuck out in big ways, whereas some of the other ones just just like, oh yeah, no, I watched that, that was cool. But number three, 
this was hard. I'm going to even give an honorable mention on oh, this nice. because I almost had to flip a coin between these two. Number three just barely edged out, and I had to go with Dog Soldiers. Oh, yeah. Hell yeah. Which just barely edged out People Under the Stairs. Okay, cool. Yeah, those are both great films. Yeah. Number two, I Saw the Devil. Hell yeah. And number one, out of movies that we covered last year, The Witch. Oh, The Witch is dope, dude. I just recently let Riley borrow that, so fucking amazing movie Great subdued enough that you can recommend it even to non-horror people fucking black phillips the shit like, I, know, I have right? my little my buddy over there now like damn right i'm going to get more black phillip in here like i think yeah. there needs to be a, He's poster a killer mascot to, no yeah. no puns but yeah for sure dude what's thou like to live deliciously i, I mean yeah, that was a just a great film to review, great film to watch. Just a great film, I think, overall. Thanks for the recommendation, Michelle. Yeah. Like so that was no doubt like one of the better recommendations. Not that our recommendations are bad. It's just that was a strong one <laughs> considering. Yeah. And th- and that's the thing, like those all came really early on. Yeah. I think but still that's pretty awesome. I think yeah. The latest any of them might have been would have been like episode seventy, so not very nice. far into the year, but so nothing wrong with movies we did past then, but goddamn, yeah. all three of those movies were on a different level. Four of those movies, if you count, they look like, not they look like people, people under the stairs. They look like the people under the stairs. <laughs> <laughs> that's pretty awesome. No, that was, that's a great film, man. But yeah, so I guess with the horror, those are great, man. Those three that I was thinking of last year, just overall, like the theater experience and, you know, not that we've covered all of them, but there was a few that, I independently watched, and I was like, man, these are, I like them a lot. I did rule out including the new Suspiria and Mandy. Oh, yeah. Because we didn't actually devote entire episodes to those. We just fucking gushed about them after other episodes. So. <laughs> yeah, we that sure That would have mixed it up a little bit, but... No, that's understandable. So, for my three, I won't necessarily say non-horror, because I even feel like there might be a horror that I'm going to have to throw in there, because, you know, I'm, yeah. I love oh, yeah. horror. But I'll go with the first two... Not in any particular order, so that, you know, don't take it as like the number one I saw last year. But one that I really enjoyed, we actually went and seen it here at the Roxy, and that was The Shape of Water. I really oh. enjoyed the shit out of that film. He did a great job. There's a reason why he won awards for that film. It's just a great story. Just enjoyed it, you know. So that was definitely up there, you know, in terms of my top three. The second one from last year that I really enjoyed was actually a film that I picked up and I'd read some really good reviews about it. It was kind of curious as an older film. When I say older, it's like late 70s. But the film is an English film called Scum and it's about the juvenile penal system they have set up in England and how rough it is and knowing that that film was adapted by the BBC as a TV film and they only showed it once because it was super violent. Okay. And they didn't realize, you know, like the magnitude that the film was actually going to cover. So the director, he wound up saying, okay, well, since you're not going to show it on television, I'm just going to do a film adaptation using the same actors and, you know, flesh out some things. And yeah, dude, that was great film, man. Some of the actors too, I mean, they're still kind of prominent in the English scene as far as films go. And just really enjoyed the shit out of it. And I was like, man, that was, in a way, a blind buy. I knew a little bit about it, but it just seemed like it got a lot of good praise. Nice. And I can see now why. And the third one, I'll probably do an honorable mention with two. I'll do an honorable mention with two, and then I'll give you my third one. So I watched a Barbarian Sound Studio. Dope film. It's kind of a tribute 
you know, homage back to Giallo's from the 70s. Okay. And it's all about sound design. So I thought that was a really clever film. I really enjoyed the shit out of it. The second one, I would say, is I'm familiar with his films, just never seen it until last year, was Antichrist. Oh. Like, whoa, that film is pretty dope. I've seen a lot of Charlotte Gunsberg films, yeah, so I'm familiar with her and, of course, Willem Dafoe. And they give powerful performances, so... I'm actually going to be watching it soon myself. Yeah, I highly recommend it. It's really good. It's not one that you want to watch all the time. <laughs> but I think number three, and I probably already said it, but I enjoy the shit out of Mandy, dude. That movie yeah. was fucking dope. It just, it's kind of one of those art house films, like I said, we've already talked about, psychedelic, played with fantasy, just had some really cool cross-genre bending moments. Mm-hmm. Soundtrack was awesome. Awesome Nick Cage performance. <laughs> Yeah, so I, I really enjoy the shit out of that film. When we like, so we got to see it in the theater, so that was a lot of fun. So, my last top three, I was gonna do my, like my top three media moments, yeah, like that I liked from 2018, and then I kind of realized that they were all most of the things I was thinking of were TV shows anyway, and I was having a hard time really narrowing shit down to like a top three list. So <laughs> I was like, okay, well then I'm just gonna go with TV because that's mostly what I watch in my free time anyway. Is a shit a ton of TV. So this is like my top three TV from 2018. (laughs) Number three is actually an individual episode, but number two and one are shows because I couldn't pick any one part. Number three is the episode guest starring John Noble of DC's Legends of Tomorrow. That episode is fucking amazing. (laughs) So meta. Spoilers. I don't know if anybody cares people you should be watching legends of tomorrow if you like just having a good fun time or you just need something like fun to throw on because past the first season which kind of blows second season on is one of the most fun things on tv it came for me to a head although some other people would argue that the finale which is the next episode after this one eclipsed even this but the meta moments in guest starring john noble i loved so much even though the name of the episode is guest starring John Noble, he had already been providing the voice for the bad guy the entire season. Oh, nice. Malice, who's this time demon who's imprisoned and trying to break free and it cause, you know, bad shit for the universe if he gets out. It's starting to get towards the end of it, and they don't know if they're going to be able to stop him. You know, the universe is ending. One of the characters, Rory, Heatwave refuses to stop watching his lord of the rings marathon Uh. (laughs) because he doesn't know if he'll ever get a chance to watch it again because the fucking world's ending basically and they don't know how to fucking stop it (laughs) Uh, (laughs) and while he's refusing to turn it off they realize that denethor sounds exactly like malice that's because denethor is played by john noble (laughs) awesome so the A plot, well, part of the A plot involves them going back in time to the set of Lord of the Rings to get John Noble to read some lines so they can record them and trick one of his disciples into thinking that she's receiving instructions from oh, him. That's funny. <laughs> all because he already does the voice for the character. That's fucking awesome (laughs) that's pretty awesome to add another layer on it the way that they were going to trick the disciple nora dark or she's not really a disciple she's kind of been possessed but 
we don't need to get into all that too, but the atom was going to shrink down and land in her ear canal and, you know, blast the recording. So it sounds like she's getting a fucking, you know, just message from nowhere in her ears. As they're discussing the plan, of course, they have a really cutesy conversation where it sounds like, oh yeah, and then I'll get inside her. (laughs) Wink, wink. And her dad's in the room and he's being all disapproving and shit. The Adam's played by Brandon Ruth. Nora Dark is played by his real life wife. That's awesome. So it was just even more meta on top where he's basically like, yeah, I'm going to go fuck my wife. Like That's pretty funny, dude. Well, I mean, it shows you the cleverness behind the writing. And then the D plot involves Gorilla Grodd going back in time and trying to kill Barack Obama while he's in college. (laughs) And they have to say Barack. No shit. All in the same episode. Damn, that's pretty awesome, man. That's why it was my number three highlight. I can see why, yeah. No shit. Super meta. That's showing just how fun that show is willing to get and why I would absolutely recommend it to anybody, even if you're not into superheroes. Just power through that first season. I know that the Hawks are terrible. I'm sorry. (laughs) Number two and number one were hard. Because I think number two is going to eventually have a bigger place in my heart in the future as it just continues to grow on me and as I appreciate its writing and how clever it is. And I do think it's probably better written than my number one, but it just didn't catch me quite the same. And that's The Good Place. Nice. Which everyone should be watching once again. Yeah, we watched a few episodes together. Uh, you like to dance in Christabel? possibly the best written show on tv right now i don't know how they keep doing it but like every other episode they put their characters into situations that most shows would have to end their show like oh that ends it right like (laughs) we're, we're there like that's what we did cool finale guys and they just continually find ways to reset the show. That's pretty awesome. And it's hilarious. And some of the episodes this latest season, I don't think I've ever laughed so hard out loud. <laughs> like, just guffawing in my living room while watching. So, good place. My number two. Nice. Number one, I know we're both big fans. Big Mouth. Oh, dude. That show is so great, man. Uh, so funny. Yeah, so funny. So weirdly real for all the cartoon surrealism it uses. <laughs> yeah, a lot of funny. I mean, just situational sort of comedy too. Awkwardly real. <laughs> yeah, I mean, it's a show about puberty essentially. Mm-hmm. Great voice acting, comedians, and every year there seems to be a show that I'll just have on in the background while I go about my daily life. 2017, it was mostly in betweeners. A lot of years before that, it's been mostly The Office. This year was all Big Mouth. I don't know how many times I went through both seasons this (laughs) year, especially after season two dropped. And we got the Shame Wizard. Oh, dude, so funny. Fucking Shane Lizard. (laughs) Uh, I just spent another re-go through trying to figure out who the Ponytail Killer is. I think I figured it out. I think it's uh, Rabbi Paul Blart's son. There's a lot of hints towards that. I'm not going to get into that all now. But they've hidden so many jokes in that show. You can pause almost any frame and find something that you probably didn't see before. That just makes it even funnier. It's clever. Uh, So much fucking continuity. Jokes just building on each other. Reminds (laughs) me a lot of The League in some ways, which isn't surprising considering who's involved. But yeah fucking so much fun watching that show nice, so man. amazing so yeah i wasn't even thinking about shows but 
if I were to put my two cents in, man, I went through and watched the last season of Twin Peaks, the one that came out mm-hmm. it was like 2017. Patrick recommended it, dude. Man, I'm a big fan of Twin Peaks. That show was amazing that last season. So, yeah, just a lot of good TV last year, a lot of good movies. Mm-hmm. I think right now, we've mentioned this before, is TV's kind of in its golden moment again. Whether you're watching network or whether you're watching cable, just really good stuff to watch. It's hard to catch up with all of it. Shit. But with that out of the way, we should probably actually talk about this week's movie. <laughs> yeah, dude. And maybe get into the guts and bolts of Phantasm, too. and bolts phantasm 2 1988 so keep in mind we have already covered phantasm we have so if you don't know anything about this series go check out that movie and check out what we said about it on episode number four of fried squirms (laughs) we pretty much said everything we could say about that film i mean we covered movies in a lot different way back then for one thing so you're gonna get like a play-by-play of that fucking movie yeah us basically doing a commentary (laughs) without watching it without watching it just straight from memory which i don't know how but that's the way we did things (laughs) we were newbies still yeah but one of the things to keep in mind is this did come out nine years later. Yeah, so I mean, it makes a big difference when you watch it and the reasons why. We'll talk about all those reasons here in just a little mm-hmm. bit. But you're right, there was a gap in between the original and the second installment and had a major studio involvement too with this. So yeah, yeah so it's pretty cool. But what majorly we like to do, involved. Yeah, know? majorly involved. But what we like to do, like every episode, is we give you guys... An idea of what the film's about, and with that, I guess we can give you a little bit of a synopsis about what Phantasm 2 is all about. Oh, shit. To really understand any synopsis, you'll have to at least know a little bit about the first Phantasm. Considering, so, yeah, it's a sequel. <laughs> real time has passed, or pretty close to real time. Yeah. Right? Yeah, I think uh, the movie time was like seven years. Okay, so yeah, close to real time. Not quite real time has passed. And now Mike's a bit grown up and gets out of the mental institution because he starts hearing a beckoning from the tall man. Beckoning for a reckoning. And others are involved too. And it all seems to be coming to a head as the hunt is on for the tall man. Yes. The one thing that I remember about the original, as far as us reviewing it, it was talking about the fact that this is one of my favorite franchises in horror, and this is one of those films that pretty much kind of lured me into this genre. So I have a special place in my heart for these series of films, and this one in particular, too, because of the time period it came out mm-hmm. in. So Now, along with the synopsis, we do like to talk about the cast and crew, and with this one, there's a lot of people we've talked about before, so you can always go back to that original, The Phantasm, our fourth episode, Yep. We get to hear a little bit more about their credits and their film work and all that good stuff in depth. But this week, 
our director is the same director as the original. He actually directed the first four. He did not direct the last one, even though he had some input in it, but not as much or as extensively as the first four. So anyhow, this person is Don Coscarelli. Like I mentioned, he's worked on movies one through four. Beastmaster. The Beastmaster, yeah. Another film that we both really enjoy because of Bruce Campbell. Bubba Hotel. Yeah, he's the director of that. He's also the director of an episode of the Masters of Horror series, which we have covered Instant on and off a mountain road. Yeah, dude. It's got some familiar faces with that. Angus Scrim actually is in that one, that episode. We tend not to give any spoilers in this section, but I think you should know John dies at the end. I <laughs> <laughs> love that movie too, man. So yeah, he's a director of that, and... There's an upcoming project, which I'll be mentioning here in his writing credits. So along with being director, he is the writer. Now he's written pretty much on all of his projects, but he has an upcoming project. It seems to be a prequel, and that prequel is a movie entitled Bubba Nosferatu, Curse of the She-Vampires. Oh, fuck. Yeah, so it is currently, I think, in pre-planning, like pre-pre-pre-production. <laughs> So that's pretty exciting, man. It's like, if there's any... Well, it has me in pre-pre-pre-ejaculation. Yeah, like premium. (laughs) But if Bruce Campbell's involved in any way, I'm sold, 100. So I read a little bit of what that synopsis is about. looks pretty entertaining. It's about a young Bruce Campbell's character, Elvis Presley, having to deal with vampires. Nice. So we'll see what happens. All right, now our cinematographer, pretty interesting name. This person is Darren Okada. Now, he's worked on some projects that involved Coscarelli, and one of them was Survival Quest. He's also worked on the project Boris and Natasha, which was the TV movie. He was a cinematographer on such films as Captain Ron, a film I enjoy, but I know it's been slammed by the people we just mentioned, but the movie Airborne. He was the cinematographer on that. Yeah. How did this get made? If you you want to hear them slam it, there it is. He was also the cinematographer on such films as Black Sheep, Anna Karenina, Halloween H2O, 20 years later. He was also the cinematographer on Lake Placid, Dr. Doolittle Part 2, yeah. Oh, Lake Placid. Harold and Kumar Escape Guantanamo We should probably talk about Lake Placid one of these episodes. No shit, right? And he's gone on to do all kinds of interesting shows, Made in Jersey. He was the DP on Movie 43, the segment, the proposition. And it looks like more recently stuff like Castle, Scandal, Station 19. So he's still getting some film credits. All right. The next person I have on this is the editor Peter Teschner. He's done some really cool editing work on such films as Brian Usna's Society. You know, we mentioned that briefly. He was also the editor on the film Bride of Reanimator, Puppet Master Part 2, Little Rascals, Dr. Doolittle, Charlie's Angels, Scary Movie Part 2, Borat, Borat yep, Semi-Pro, Land of the Lost, Horrible Bosses, a Bill Murray film, St. Vincent. I mean, he's got some really dope fucking credits to his name. So it's like, yep, I can see where the studio was <laughs> in play here already. So the music was done by two gentlemen. The first gentleman I'm going to mention is... Fred Myro, he was the composer on such films as Soylent Green, Phantasms 1 through 3, and also the film Survival Quest. And the other gentleman is Christopher L. Stone, and I was looking at some of his credits, and I was like, man, he's got some, <laughs> some pretty interesting ones. One in particular because 
he did a lot of music on a video game that started off in an arcade, and that was Dragon Slayer. Oh, okay. Yeah, I was like, whoa, that's pretty awesome. You might be familiar with the television show Swamp Thing. Oh, yeah. Yeah, okay. helped compose the music for that. Films such as Ticks, children's animated things like Tailspin. <laughs> wow. Grew up watching okay. that. Yeah. Honey, I Shrunk the Kids television show. Just some really interesting things and stuff kind of like we grew up with. It's like, whoa, <laughs> didn't realize that. All right. Our special effects, we've got a couple of teams on this. One was Dream Quest Images. They helped with the special visual effects on this. And these guys were actually hired to help with the project with another person I'll mention a little bit later on. But these two guys need to be mentioned. One is Robert Kurtzman. The other is Greg Nicotero. They are two-thirds of KNB. They help with the special makeup effects on this, and they help construct a lot of the makeup effects on this project. And this was before KNB actually Pre, formed, This is right? like the yeah. film before, actually. Okay. Yeah. But you're right. This film was also produced by Roberto A. Cazeta. Production companies were Spacegate Productions, Starway International Incorporated, and Universal Pictures. This was distributed also by Universal Pictures for the 1988 USA theatrical release. Its release date was here in the States, July 8th, 1988. It had an estimated budget of $3 million. That was 10 times its original budget. <laughs> The opening weekend, this was dated as of July 10th. Right. While we're talking about the budget, this is really funny because that $3 million makes Phantasm 2 also the highest budgeted of any of the Phantasms. Yep. It was also the lowest. the lowest budget for any Universal movie that year. Yeah, it's pretty funny. <laughs> but it's true. All right, so opening weekend, it made its money back. Was dated July tenth, nineteen eighty eight. Made three million, and it grossed here domestically seven point three million. So it doubled its budget, which is not bad considering some things I'll talk about a little bit later mm -hmm. on. All right, I've got a few taglines. It's got several. There were three. I felt like, now, eh, all right, let's see what we can do with these. <laughs> all right, the first one that I have is now the horrifying truth is about to be revealed, and all it took was a little digging. Okay. Yeah, I don't mind that one. That's cool. Okay. That's too bad. Number two. It's a little bit more on the nose. After ten years, the ball is back. <laughs> I, okay. Exactly. All right, number three. For ten years, the secret of Perry Gord Cemetery has remained a mystery. Now, the ultimate evil is about to be revealed. I like the first one the best. Yeah. The ball one just reminds me more of Reggie's head than anything. <laughs> <laughs> One of them I had seen, too, and this has a little bit more to do with its release date. This summer. This summer. The ball is yep, back. The ball is back. Yeah, go figure. All right, so that was the crew, the people behind the camera, and now we can talk about our Also, cast. does anyone call them balls? They're spheres, right? Spheres. Well, I'll talk about that a little bit later on. <laughs> so the crew we just talked about, our cast, a lot of familiar faces, a lot of new faces in the franchise. The tallest name in the franchise. The tallest man in the... <laughs> Maybe. I think they said he was like 6'4", so yeah. yeah. All right, so we've already mentioned his name, Angus Grimm, a.k.a. Is it Lawrence? Uh, Lawrence yeah, Rory Guy? Lawrence, yep. Yeah, so I was like, oh, it's pretty interesting. He chose Angus Grimm. He derived half of it from a relative. The other one is a name for stage curtain, Scrim. So yeah. That was pretty cool. So we've talked about some of his credits. He has worked on such things with Coscarelli, of course, the entire franchise, right? Phantasm right. 1 through 5, Ravager. 
He was also in an early film about Coscarelli, and that was Jim, the World's Greatest. And then he's been in a shit ton of horror films, mostly independent B-side of the industry, but... He did show up in John Dies at the End, which we already mentioned. Yep. And... We've mentioned the Masters of Horror incident on and off from Mountain Road. He was specifically written in to make sure that the episode could get its length. So. And he was the narrator in Wishmaster, which yeah, we talked about. we've talked about that too. Um, which is really a little dope. bit ago. So. Yeah, he was I actually... I can't remember how long ago that was, but not, that was a good Not very movie, long so, ago. Yeah. I enjoyed it. Well, Kurtzman, right? Well, a few others I want to mention. He was in a Ron Perlman film with Dominic Monaghan in I Sell the Dead. That one's a really fun film. He was also in a vampire series of films called Subspecies. Which those are pretty. I mean, they're they're decent. If you like the Puppet Masters, you've already mentioned John dies at the end, and a little film entitled Chopping Mall. Now he's been in a tons of films. There was a, kind of a neat thing that I got as a part of that special edition mm-hmm. of Phantasm Two, where you get to see an early film credit of his as a young Abraham Lincoln. Oh, yeah, black and oh. white. <laughs> he said he always wanted to be a part of comedy. He wanted to do like a parlor comedy movie, but. I don't think he ever got to live that out. But yeah, unfortunately, another one of those people who has passed away. Another little bit of interesting news because he's been on the show is I think when we first did Phantasm, I'd mentioned that to Alex, who's been oh, on our show, yeah. Haas. And he said that his brother worked on a film set that had Angus Grimm as a part of the cast. And he got oh, to meet shit. Angus Grimm. Yeah. He said it was super nice. It was well spoken, of course. That's awesome. Yeah. So it's like, damn, damn, you go, Alex. <laughs> Super oh, jealous. Be the tall man. I know, dude. Which is fitting, right? Yeah. <laughs> it's pretty awesome. All right. So another person who was in the original who reprises his role, we've already kind of mentioned it or alluded to him. That's Reggie Bannister, who reprises his role as Reggie. Ooh, yeah. So some of his Much credits, like Tony Danza. <laughs> just stick with what you know, right? He was a part of Wishmaster. There was a specific scene that we talked about. He was also in Bubba Hotep. He was in such things as Bone Jangles, Satan Hates You, and The Demolitionist. And he also reprises roles as Reggie in the entire franchise. All right. Now, some of the new names is because we do have a recurring character, but played by a different actor. Yeah, the only time Mike isn't played by... A. Michael Baldwin, right? So because... Not, not just any Michael Baldwin. Yeah. A. a. Michael Baldwin. A. Michael Baldwin. So because Universal threw so much money, they also wanted a working actor at the time. And at this time, Michael Baldwin wasn't acting. Actually, Reggie Bannister wasn't acting either, right? So they actually had an audition for those parts. And as a part of the studio... Coscarelli could only keep one of them, and he opted to keep Reggie Bannister, of course, and the person who auditioned and got the part is James Legro. Interesting thing about him is he likes to collect fan-written letters or just notes okay. of his misspelled last name. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, and he, he shows like how many different variations of his last name has been mispronounced or misspelled but some of his credits are some really good ones actually early on one i just picked up not very long ago solar babies solar babies no <laughs> he was in near dark with bill paxton right and lance henriksen he was also in drugstore cowboy another really damn good film batteries not included yeah which we just mentioned not long ago point break yeah he was also in born on the fourth of july he was in singles the movie which was really good 
He was on ER for a few episodes, if I'm not mistaken, back yeah. in 1998. You might have seen him in Enemy of the State, the remake of the film Psycho. He was in a film I actually watched because it's based off of a play that should not be mentioned, but he was in the film Scotland PA mm. as a Macbeth. <laughs> He was also in Zodiac, which is a pretty decent film, and such projects as The Last Winter and Certain Women. I'm really glad to see that he's had a continuing career because I realized I probably haven't seen anything he's been in in like the last 10 years. Likewise. And that's no discredit, but, but yeah. yeah. He's, and he's I'm known looking for like at him, being like, an independent actor. Like, there's a lot of good stuff, like just not shit that I've watched. No, and like I said, no discredit, but you're right. Just uh, not like big, huge blockbusters, you know what I mean? But... So be it. He's still oh, he's a great actor. I guess anyway. I saw him in the episode of Constantine he was in. Cool. Yeah, that was four years ago, five years ago, but, you know, whatever. So be it. All right. Another new face in this particular film is a character of Liz, played by Paula Irvine. Now, Paula, she wasn't really in a lot of films. I think shortly after she did this film, she kind of bowed out of acting and focused her energy on other things. But some of her early credits include Party Camp, she lent her voice in the Super Mario Brothers Super Show back oh, in 1989. Sure. She was also in the cast of Santa Barbara, <laughs> which we've mentioned now several times, from 1991 through 1993. And she has kind of... she was Not that she acts, but there's like clips of her in Phantasm Part 3. Oh, oh yeah. yeah, just kind of like the continuation of the story. All right, another new face in this film... And in this franchise is the character of Alchemy, played by Samantha Phillips. She's done such projects as Love Potion, Sunny Boy, Weekend at Bernie's Part 2, Fallen Angel, Andromina, The Pleasure Planet. From what I understand is she more or less is heavily involved in like sex subjects, talk shows, and radio say, and know, stuff like that. I know that she was a host on Sexetera. And I'm now wondering if one of my favorite podcasters, Ralph Garman, knows her because he was oh. also a host on Sexetera. I would say the odds are highly likely. <laughs> this actually, if I'm not mistaken, I want to say this is like her first major film that she was in. She was relatively young wow. at the time, mm -hmm. too. So, Another actor, actually a really good character actor that's in this film, is Kenneth Tigery, plays the character of Father Mayers in this. You might have seen him in such films as one of my favorite films, actually, from the 80s, is Just One of the Guys, which was remade. He was also in 18 again. He was in Lethal Weapons Part 2 and 3. He was in the film Primal Fear, Conspiracy Theory. You might have seen him in The Avengers. He was also in the television show The Man in the High Castle from 2016 through 18. And House of Cards from 2013 through 2018. So, familiar face when I started seeing some of those Credits that he had, I was like, oh yeah, I've seen him yeah. grown up, so it's kind of cool. The next actress I have is Stacy Travis. She plays the character of Jerry, and she is the sister of Paula Irvine's character, just real oh, briefly okay. in this film. Yeah. Some of her credits include Earth Girls Are Easy. She was in the... Dude, I love that movie. <laughs> I, you can't go wrong with some girl bloom in your life. She was also in the film Hardwire. You might have seen her in a Joe Pesci film, The Super. She was also part of the ER television series from 1997 through 1998. You might have seen her in Mystery Men. She was in the film Traffic. A really good film that I highly recommend. Ghost World. She was also in Intolerable Cruelty. Soul Plane. 
The Fun with Dick and Jane, Art School Confidential, and Easy A. So she's had a wealthy career. Did you mention career. Mystery Men? Because, yeah. Okay, good. Because yeah. I was like, oh, fuck, Mystery Men's so good. So even though she's in it real briefly, she went on to have a really solid career. I've got a few other credits. We have J. Patrick McNamara. He plays the psychologist in this film. Another one of those. It's just briefly in it. But because of his credits, like, I kind of have to include him. All right. He was in such films as Close Encounters of the Third Kind. He was in the film The Fury, 1941. He was in an episode of Freddy's Nightmares in 1989. He was also Mr. Preston because he was the father <laughs> in Bill and Ted's Excellent Adventure in Bogus Journey. Mm-hmm. He was also in the first Power and an episode of Tales from the Crypt entitled The Switch from 1990. All right, two other characters I have. I'll mention who they are in our spoiler section, I suppose, but two other actors I have are Phil Fendocaro and Ed Gale. They both played hooded dwarves in this film, so keep that in mind. They're little people. Oh, shit, okay. Their film credits are fucking dope. <clears throat> so when we get to that, I'll mention those a little bit more briefly. But, yeah, it kind of rounds out cast and crew, synopsis. We should give uh, you some warnings. Warnings. There's a bit of gore in this movie. Yeah, some, some crazy, gore. weird body horror in the middle. Yep. Language, a little sexy times. Yeah. And I mean, and the gore that's there is really, like, it's practical yeah, effects. Yeah, it's super so practical. So it looks, like, really oozy and... <laughs> yeah, gory. Yeah, just squicky. So, I mean, there's not a lot of it, but it's good a when it's there. bit. Yeah. More than the first one, if you're... Oh, yeah, no doubt. If you're familiar with the first one, so... Yeah, they ramped that up. So we said sexy times, your typical language, there's a lot of explosions, stuff like that. Fire, guns, chainsaws. Yeah, about it, though. Nothing's too crazy. No. No. This one's a lot more linear in the storytelling than the Mm -hmm. original, too, so it's a little bit easier to follow. Agreed. A bit more action-y. Yeah. I mean, it was the 80s. Yeah. Big studio. Threw some money in it. So, yeah, I think that's good enough. Yeah. Yeah. I don't know what else to say about it. Nothing stands out. No. It just has a couple has moments some good moments. of some good gore. Yeah. And the spheres still... They do their thing. Yeah, they're still awesome. Bigger and better. The balls are back. Yeah, the balls are back. In our mouths. Yeah. Well, in that one dude's mouth. For sure. Yeah, in his mouth. <laughs> from the back. <laughs> from the back, from the front. <laughs> yeah, shit. Let's get into the movie. God, what's happening to me? Oh God, where am I? Why am I hearing these things? Oh God, what, what's going on? Oh Jesus, come on. Oh my God, what's what's going on? Where, where am I? Oh gee, why? Why? Come on, somebody, somebody. Ah, come on, come on, come on. Come on, somebody. Sir. Come on, somebody, somebody's there. Somebody's gotta be there. I will shock you. Come on. Sir. On, Sir, you must Come listen on, to me. Sir, I only have one question. How does that make you squeal? Alright, Danny. Phantasm 2. How did it make you squeal? I know you have a history with this, so I'm going to let you like start it off. Yeah, dude. Because so, this is my first time watching it, but like, oh, Phantasm is big for you. So. so, because you and I both are products, and we've talked about this several times, of certain time periods, 80s, 90s, that was the time of the VHS and rental stores and all that good stuff. So it'd be hard for me to remember exactly which order I watch 
course I've seen the first one, second one, but I don't know. I can't remember which order I saw them in, but mm-hmm. I do remember seeing this one because it was on VHS because I knew there was a different actor even then. Like I knew there was a different actor in it. So yeah, it kind of makes me think I've probably seen Phantasm first. I was going to say, that's like the one thing I knew about this one going in is like, I know that there's a different actor because there's a studio involved yep. and I haven't even seen this movie. <laughs> I'll get to it later, but led to a lot of really funny moments for me just in my head while I was watching the movie. But <laughs> That's pretty awesome. So yeah, my parents, at one point or another, probably late 80s, they had rented this for my sister and my brother and myself. And Anyhow, it was just one of those early moments I remembered. And then, of course, the further the franchise got along, the more of a fan I became. And it held some other nostalgia reasons. But anyhow, I seen this man, probably when I was like eight or nine at the latest. So, yeah, dude. Just go way back with it. VHS days with it. So, in the Phantasm series, which is your favorite? And where does this rank? All right. So, because of that nostalgic factor, immediately the third one jumps out. Just because I'd seen it the most. Okay. I was a teenager when that came out. And it was one of those, too. Like, I stayed up super late when I wasn't supposed to. It was guaranteed that it'd be on at some point. (laughs) So... I would say the third one, probably followed by the first and then by the second. Okay. The fourth one, I just haven't seen enough of it. It's fucking super weird. Mm-hmm. And I haven't seen the fifth one. So oh, yeah. it's hard Rapture. for me to rank. Yeah. I know you started it, didn't you? I did. I started watching it and I fell asleep and then I got caught up watching other stuff and just never really yeah. got back to it. I understand how that But I think because I actually own all the films except for Ravager, I'm going to go back and watch them all. Is Ravager still up on Shudder? It is. Cool. It is. Yeah, the only one that's not is part two because of Universal. <laughs> oh, yeah. I was going to say, uh, I ended up having to rent this one from Amazon because I was being lazy about my piracy. <laughs> <laughs> I can understand. Well, something that's interesting about this film, too, is I mentioned that I own that special collector's edition, whatever DVD of it. Mm-hmm. And I bought it off a person who actually sent us a screener. Oh, right, right, yeah, which we're so, getting to not super soon. Yeah, but I won't say enough. what the film is, but Phil Stevens, he sold me a copy of this and a copy of... Thanks, Phil. Yeah, there was another film. Anyhow, the point... Thanks, Phil. Oh, it was Evil Dead Part 2, which is oh, kind of funny in a way. Two part twos? Yeah. Oh, um, and especially funny with the what, shout out at the end of the movie? Yeah, well, not only that, but like, yeah, who all is involved with that project and who all is involved with this project? <laughs> so anyhow... About that one because I didn't have a proper copy of it. Like I just recently started getting proper copies of the series. But anyhow, there's some really cool shit that's included. And I'm glad I picked it up. So yeah, it, like so this film just kind of holds a place all over the place for me. <laughs> but in terms of its power, I guess staying power for me is probably third out of the five so far. Nice. Okay. I was really answer. excited to see this because. One of the things I remembered most about when we covered Phantasm was that they tend not to act stupid. Yeah. And I felt like, for the most part, that continued in this film. They are pretty damn logical, for the most part. In some weird ways, it kind of reminded me of, like, dog soldiers in that sense. Yeah. Where it's like, they're capable, they're just up against the tall man. Yeah, and that carries some baggage, no pun. So, I don't know. It was all right. I definitely had a good time watching it. It's not the strongest film in the franchise, and I've only seen two of them. <laughs> Number one is definitely a stronger film overall than this one. Totally agree uh, with that. Though this one makes the first one make more sense. Yeah, which is, I think the more you watch these films, because of the first film, sets the tone, of course, for the rest of the series, is that it works in a 
kind of a strange dream logic sometimes. This one, like I mentioned earlier, is just straightforward. This is kind of a road movie. But it does. It does make sense of the first one. It picks up literally right where it left off. So weirdly enough, when I first started in on it, that surprised me. And then I realized that it shouldn't have surprised me because they had to find some way to explain the existence of a sequel with the way the first one ended. Exactly, because the first one is so ambiguous. I mean, any answer would suffice, just depending on how much you want to read into that theory. Mm-hmm. You know, which is nice. That's kind of what Coscarelli had in mind anyway. Yeah, and so I was like, oh, okay, never mind. I guess they did have to make sense of it. You could sort of tell that despite them trying to young him up, the new shit with Reggie, he was a little bit older. Yeah. That yeah. was a little bit funny. And it's not like super obvious, but no. I was just like, uh, that's kind of funny. Like, Yeah, because he was probably already at that point in the first one, probably somewhere in his mid-30s, late-30s. But the other thing that I kind of liked, because it set the tone for the rest of the movie, and it's like, oh, this is the way that they're going to go about this movie, is that you got the dwarves just right off the bat. Yeah. And I was like, oh, shit. Like, they're not even, like, beating around the bush with this no, one. Right, you're right in There's it. There's no, like, weird setups. It's like, oh, no, we have the dwarves. You have bodies being carried off. You have them, like, going full-on attack mode. I couldn't remember if we actually got to see Dwarf Face in the first one. Do we get to see Dwarf Face in the first one? I don't even think we do, but if we do, it's just real Because I felt like I was really surprised by that. And I was like, should I be surprised by this? Am I stoned? Well, and then I was like, well, I'm stoned, but... <laughs> yeah, I mean, that's beside the point, but I didn't you mean, yeah. It's like, how stoned am I? Yeah, I'm like, should I remember what their faces look like or not? Or is this an awesome surprise? Because this is kind of cool. I like their weird, like, sludgy, almost baby-ish. Yeah. But also kind of, like, nightmarish kind of looks so (laughs) no you're absolutely right about that too Mm -hmm. is they showed a lot more like i said with some of these side characters and they've even introduced some interesting characters along with the tall man oh yeah like the gravers and stuff yeah which is really cool it leads a little bit more into how he gets uh, his shit that universe yeah yeah exactly so it makes more sense of it why he's involved with mortuaries and cemeteries in the first place and a really interesting reveal that lends its hand a little bit more into what you just mentioned, the dwarfs, like how they come about. Mm -hmm. Yeah, so there's some really cool shit going on in this film overall. So it's a trope that, you know, badasses don't look back at the fucking explosions. Somehow, when Tall Man looked back at that explosion in the beginning, it only made him more menacing. Like, that moment, I was like, hats off to fucking Angus Scrim. Because he made the turnaround to see what just happened not seem at all like he was worried, but more just like he was taking note of it, like, this is one more thing that I'm going to kill you motherfuckers for. (laughs) Yep. All right, motherfuckers, tally up. (laughs) Mm Mm-hmm. Yeah, you're right. So here's something that's really cool. With and, no worry at all, though, where he's oh, just yeah. like, it's convenient that I'm not <laughs> in the middle of that, but it wouldn't have mattered. Yeah, exactly. But you're right. If they're still around, there's hell to pay. <laughs> all right, so here's something that's really cool, is the opening sequence. And this is looking back on it now, of mm-hmm. course, and then growing up watching it. I would have never known this. But in the opening sequence, because it does pick up right where it leaves off the first movie, where we find out about Jody, Mike's older brother, and, you know, Reggie's just kind of like, all that stuff doesn't happen, it wasn't real, yada yada. And then shit goes down, and because Michael Baldwin is not in this film, you only see him in the, like, the flashbacks of the original, 
is they used a stand-in, a body double form for this film. And you don't see his face, right? Right. You don't see the face. And when I saw who the person was, it's like, damn, I would have never guessed who that was. Like in a million years, I would have never guessed it. But Lori Laughlin, a.k.a. Aunt Becky on Full House. Oh, shit. Also of rad fame. Yeah. She is the body double of Mike during the sequence where it picks up. That's So wow. the shots of Mike as a teenager. She's the fake shim. Yeah, exactly. I was like, holy shit, that is fucking wild. So, yeah, that's Aunt Becky jumping out the window with Reggie Bannister. <laughs> yeah, it's pretty awesome, dude. It's like, I would have never guessed that was Aunt Becky. That's crazy. Wow. Yeah, me either. There's some star power in this film. I mean, not that you see anything but the back of her, but... Yeah. So not only in that, you get a couple of different sequences that were shot all at once, which is really neat, too. So in that house explosion, you know, you see where they're using gas to mm-hmm. blow the house up. Reggie is when he's faced with all those dwarves. Anyhow, what happened was in order to give you the effect of real time, old time, all that stuff, they had to shoot this in one scene. So the house that they used to get the explosion and all that stuff, yeah. it was also used for Mike's and Jody's home. It was used as Reggie's home when it explodes. And it was also used in the same sequence as the tall man looking back, right? So what they did is they set up three separate cameras. The first one they shot of... Down one street and like down one street. Yep. And Just different angles, yeah. So you're getting the explosion from the original <laughs> with Reggie and Lori Laughlin. Then you have Clagro, who is the older Michael, riding up with a double stand-in for Reggie in the Cuda. And then, of course, the tall man... And they shot it all at one time because the house was a part of a California project. It was to, like, widen the highway. And so they were auctioning all these houses off. They happened to buy it for, like, 500 bucks. Oh, yeah. So they're like, yeah, fuck this house. Yeah. And so what they did was it was actually... If I bought a house for 500 bucks, I'd be like, fuck this house. We're going to blow this fucking house up. So they actually built a second story. It was a one-story home. They built it. I take that back. I'm a millennial. If I bought a house for 500 bucks, <laughs> I'd be shit. living the fuck out of that Flipping house. Flipping it. <laughs> <laughs> so what they did was they had to get clearance from Washington, D.C. because they were close to an airport. And there's all kinds of federal regulations that you have to have. So they had a fire marshal that was on set overseeing it. And he was kind of a hard ass until he that found out. explains a scene. Having a fire marshal on set that was a hard ass during explosions because, sorry, I didn't want to interrupt, but something I noticed and I have made a note of later on, when Mike saves Reggie from the car, there's no way they get 25 feet away from that car (laughs) before it explodes. (laughs) I know what you're saying, yeah. And I was like, oh, this is like the only reason that they showed this is because they wanted to show them with the explosion... To the point where it overruled the fact that they wanted to use a real explosion so they couldn't put them that close. No way. They'd never clear that. So they put them as close as they could with a real explosion, but that means it doesn't actually line up with the continuity of the shot. (laughs) Not whatsoever. So here's the cool part about the fire marshal with this house exploding scene, was that he had found out through a crew member he was asking he's like you know what film is this anyway and they're like oh it's Phantasm 2 and apparently he was a huge fan of the original and he's like oh, oh sure. fuck it blow this mother up <laughs> right he gave him the clearance and they talked about all the explosives they had inside and they just had a field day with it you know but it was all taken in one shot all that sequence because they could only do it in one shot you know what I mean 
So they lucked out. Everything worked fine with them. And they said, too, they had to coordinate with the airport. There was like a five-minute window okay. where planes weren't taken off or landing. And they or had to shoot like, it in okay, that five minutes. You're doing it now. Yeah, exactly. But it just goes to show, man, like, it's pretty awesome. Yeah, it's pretty dope. It makes that scene, gives it more oomph, knowing that. We need an explosion in Jafar. (laughs) Well, I would imagine that's coming. (laughs) Yeah, so learn that, like, right off the bat. Lori Laughlin, house explosion, airport, fire marshal, all kinds of cool stuff. Yeah, so anyhow, that carries his story. And that's where, what you were mentioning with Coscarelli, how it was cool to start off where it left off. But not only that, he said once he had that, he said he took a little bit of Stephen King's Salem's Lot because it turned into a road story with theirs chasing mm -hmm. vampires, but this one chasing the tall man. So that gave him a beat. He's like, now I can just have fun with it. Yeah, so that's how he got over that writing block because he said for the longest time he didn't really want to get back into horror. He didn't want to be pigeonholed. He wanted Mm -hmm. to do other projects, flex his muscle. But when they came a knock and it's like, that's pretty much how he wrote it out. Yeah. I thought one of the neat things was Liz and her kind of being connected too, but then especially the second time through, I started thinking it was really funny. Like, what if they're not the only ones that are like special in this way that have this weird connection to the tall man? And what if they all start having dreams of each other and just end up in like this connected orgy since they seem to have this immediate attraction for each other and yeah. she's developed this crush on this guy that she's never only, met and only had visions of <clears throat> yeah only had visions of but the visions are all true it's like yeah. it's mike and so i i yeah. just oh my it god i started laughing so hard i was like what if there was like 20 of them who's to say there's not right who's to say there's not yeah but what if there's like 20 <laughs> of them so reboot phantasm well i want to talk about that later too <laughs> yeah have more people be connected and they just end up in an orgy i'm okay with that sexy time (laughs) yeah i thought that was a a sort of a neat little thing though like the way that they played it out and just her journals and shit like yeah exactly it gave her immediately a backstory and how she's connected in the story altogether so yeah it is really neat a little bit of this film because of another franchise and because some of the people worked on it not that it was intentional some of it reminded me a little bit of like some of the latter Freddy Krueger movies Nightmare oh, okay. on Elm Street mm-hmm. like Dream Warrior and stuff like that yeah so carrying that beat like introducing her character Mike and Reggie after Reggie's family gets offed well, that sets oh, up them chasing after the tall man before his family gets offed and he just catches Mike in the graveyard. Oh, yeah, yeah, yeah. That's I had an extremely specific observation. I'm probably the only one with this take because of <laughs> how specific it is. But the patronizing tone that he was taking with Mike reminded me almost exactly of Judge Reinhold in the Santa Claus. <laughs> <laughs> That's funny. Once Tim starts really leaning into being Santa Claus. Yeah. I was just like, this is it exactly. Like That's awesome. I, also, I've seen the Santa Claus maybe 40 <laughs> times. <laughs> so, so you're well versed with that movie. We had it on VHS, so. There you go, exactly. Yep, I've seen Completely that movie understand. a ton. <laughs> so I was just like, oh my god, is Judd Dreinhold in the room? Oh no, it's just Reggie. <laughs> it's just Reggie. <laughs> That's funny, man. But yeah, I mean, it just kind of shows it's a little bit of a trope now, I would imagine, right? Mm-hmm. Well, cool. So yeah, that was a really interesting scene, because he goes, Mike that is, he goes right out of the unit he's been staying in. Yeah, he has that psychologist, he kind of bullshits him, gets out, and the first thing he does, it appears, is go straight to the graveyard, 
where he's, no pun intended, uncovering some truths about his previous experience with the tall man and everything that's going on. And Randy I, just happens to be out there. I also liked how he was immediately like, this isn't the first one. Yeah. I was like, oh, okay, see, like, we didn't have to watch him undo every single one, just... Yeah, because that would take forever. But yeah, it at least gives you the impression, like... And you're like, and you start thinking back, I'm like, oh yeah, tall man was getting those bodies. I couldn't fucking remember what was going on in that first one that well. I remember yeah. the spheres more than anything, but... I mean, those are... Even as a kid, that was probably the most memorable aspect, aside from the tall man. I remember too. the spheres, the tall man, and the Jawas, and I couldn't remember. <laughs> I knew he was making the Jawas. Yeah, that's kind of funny, dude, but you're right. You're absolutely right. <clears throat> Some really memorable things about this franchise in general. But then, yeah, you're right. They get ready to go because this family gets off pretty quickly. They kind of jump through that part. Scene. Yeah, they do. They, it they kind of seems like it. a couple weeks must have passed, or at least a week must have passed, it seems like. But yeah, they never go into it because it's not really important. No, not. I mean, yes and no. It's like you never meet his family. Yeah. And they're off to, all in the same go. And then just skips forward. It's like, just kind of right. lazy, but it's not also not the story he was trying to tell. It, it, so. Exactly. And that's okay. At least it gives you at least a little bit of <laughs> nothing else. When they were grabbing all their shit, though, first off, I was like, so did they break into that hardware store? Or oh, yeah, was that yeah. in a, a town that the tall man had already fucked up, and so they didn't really have to break in? It's probably a little bit of both. Probably a little bit of both, I would imagine. Okay. Yeah, because I can see that. But they're still being decent. Mm-hmm. At least Reggie is. Second off, that reminded me of like, oh my god, I remember going into hardware stores when I was young and just looking around and being like, what can be used as a weapon? Which is basically all they were doing. Yeah, exactly. They were doing some shopping. And I was like, oh, I identify very much with this. I used to do the same thing. <laughs> <laughs> some of the things I liked about that scene, too, was a little bit of the, uh, like, there's no way they're taking that much time to do that. Like grinding out weapons and customizing them, and just like doing. So, from what I could tell, there was a handle on the underside of Mike's flamethrower that never got used once in the entire movie. Fire marshal. <laughs> That's my excuse. I'm also pretty sure. Now it probably wasn't severe enough to make a terrible problem with it. But I'm pretty sure with the way that Reggie sawed off those shotguns, it would increase the spread to maybe you're not even hitting what you're pointing at. Yeah, yeah, Because of the point in the middle, and so the shit's bouncing out the side sooner. Exactly. But he probably didn't do it at an extreme enough of an angle for it to make the biggest difference, you know what I mean? But I think it's still going to make a difference, like... Oh yeah, it'll definitely make a difference. I mean, he basically just duck-billed it, but I don't think that's what he was going for. He should have just sawed it off clean. Yeah, exactly. You get an equal spread just further out. Yeah, but anyway. I was like, oh, he's sawing it off, but when you finally get a good look at the fact that he sawed it to a point, I was <laughs> yeah. like, is he going to stab a motherfucker with that? Like, what is he going to do? I get kicked double as a bayonet. <laughs> he dropped it too soon for us to find out, though. Yeah, also, why did he decide to use it only once? Looking on it the second time through, I was like, okay, I can see now why. Perhaps. Because during that sequence, he loses. Oh, the, the he doesn't bullet. have oh. his bandolier anymore. Yeah, and I was like, I would be the only reason why I could explain that. Yeah, okay. That I, does, I, I do remember when he loses the bandolier, so that does yeah. make sense. I didn't think about the fact that that happens. Yeah, before. first time through, too, I was thinking that shit. First time through watching it again, because I hadn't seen the second one. It's been a little while. 
was that shopping sequence? It's like, oh, damn. They just, I, when he opened up the till, it's like, oh, he's going to grab some cash. And he drops the bills. It's like, good on you, Reg. <laughs> good on you. But yeah, I think you can look at it like it was an abandoned place. The way it was locked up, too, is like, it's kind of like an old inn. <laughs> it's like, who locks their door like that anymore? It was easy oh, as they right. got in. Yeah, I didn't even think about that. I don't know. Like I said, though, like I identified really hard fun, with that though, scene because yeah. I was like, shit, that's the same thing I'd do. And that also set up sort of later on when they poke fun at Sam Raimi a little bit because I was like, this is a very like Ash sort of situation yeah. right here. Well, yeah, no pun intended yeah. for sure, like literally. Yeah, so the beats on this I do like. I even like the time it takes for them to kind of establish what they're doing as far as, you know, being on the road, time is passing. I, one of my notes is that I would watch an extended series all about them just following the tall man's wake. Yeah, dude. Where he's basically just like this very gradual bringer of the apocalypse and they're trying to catch up before he can take out kind of the entire world. But yeah, exactly. he can only affect so much at one time, but when he affects it, it's like a plague it's at done. that point. Yeah. yeah. And I just love the idea of them having to gradually like catch up to the edge of the weak. apocalypse. <laughs> yeah. That's and like the weird movie, shit yeah. that you could run into on the way because they set up that he's leaving weird shit for them because the fucking back creature even looked like Liz. So it's for them. It's exactly for, for them. for Mike at least. Yeah, exactly. <clears throat> he is the most pivotal character in the entire franchise. So keep that in mind. But yeah, so it's I just think fun, that though. sets up fun another though. question. How early on is alchemy under the tall man's control? I am going to go immediately. That's what I was saying, too. How early is alchemy actually the tall man? There's, I mean, there, knowing the, like film tropes and stuff, like there's a lot of foreshadowing in this film. That's definitely like a huge standout moment. Like, because oh, I got the feeling... She's, yeah, she's a part of this shit. I they, got the feeling the first time through mm -hmm. that she was the tall man from the get-go. The second time through, there's a couple things that hint at the fact that she might not be the tall man from the get-go, but she's at least influenced by him from the get-go. Yeah. But if she's him from the get-go, then Reggie fucks the tall man. Yeah, he got him some tall man man pussy. Tall man <laughs> likes getting fucked in his man pussy. Well, all right. This is going back to the first one, too. Yeah. Tall man likes getting fucked in his man pussy. Not only that, he's fucked Jody, and now he's fucked Reggie. Yeah. <laughs> okay. Does Mike ever fuck the tall man? Not that I can recall. Not that I can recall. I think he's the only one who's like... Is that why the tall man's pissed? Yeah. Because he can't get Mike's D? <laughs> Maybe. I mean, that's kind of funny looking at it now. That's I, a good fan theory. I don't even think Liz got Mike's D. They actually went to bed like chased the little kids while well, Reggie right. went, to, <laughs> All right. went so, to knock it out. One of the sequences they could not use, even though they filmed it, seen it, it was kind of neat, like what they were going for. This has a lot to do with the studio. So because this film has a very linear, non-dreamy kind of aspect mm -hmm. to it, even though it's still playing around in that universe, the studio didn't want anything to be ambiguous, and they didn't want to have any kind of like dream logic or actually go into dream states in this film. So that's what I'm getting at is there's a scene where Liz and Mike are in bed, you know, and they're having that psychic connection, their telekinesis, mm -hmm. you know. And in that same sequence, they were supposed to actually make love. And in the sequence of them making love, it would go from them like being able to transport themselves to different locations. So they'd make oh. love on a beach, and then they'd be like in the clouds, so to speak, like falling through clouds, making mm -hmm. love, and yada yada, until they return back to where they're at. So 
Yeah, some of that got cut out. And it said they kept Reggie sexy. (laughs) (laughs) Fucking the tall man. (laughs) Fucking the tall man. It's like, we're going to go with you fucking the tall man. So here's something that's interesting about that scene as well, on top of the fact that he's fucking the tall man. It's so hard on the road. It gets so hard on the road. Uh, Yeah. (laughs) It's the way of the road, boys. (laughs) It's the way she goes. So we talked about, you know, the actress who plays Alchemy being that she didn't even think she was going to get the part being that it was originally scripted as the character was supposed to be a, a Bugsy blonde. And she said she read the script and then she said on the way to Universal Studios, her car broke down. She was stranded. She had to walk the way she looked, you know, she knew that she didn't really fit the character considering. And so she stated that she, you know, like in her mind, she was having the worst day of her life. She goes in. She's like, I'm just reading script, doing mm-hmm. lines, whatever. She said I left, and then my agent called me back and said they wanted a call back. And then, yeah, they eventually cast her. Don Coscarelli said that she was, like, very spunky and just had really good energy. Anyway, what Reggie's sex scene with her, Reggie's wife was actually on set. <laughs> and they said that it took six hours to shoot the entire scene. Wow. There were so what? many different takes. Right, and she was saying, like, you know, I look like I'm barely out of my teens, and here I am wanting to fuck a 40-year-old guy. She's like, what's make me want to have sex with him? Like, His head. What? Right? Yeah, and that's what they said. They said, like, she developed, like, this bald head fascination and she, like, slapped his head 26-odd times <laughs> and said that there's like, a big welt on oh, Reggie Bannister's no. head because of it. And oh, poor Reggie. He said he was worn out after those six hours. I bet. Yeah. I bet she was worn out, too. That's a lot of riding. <laughs> yeah. I was like, man, this scene is fucking so crazy, dude. But, yeah, he was fucking a tall man. Yeah, I, that's the only thing. I was like, I'm pretty sure alchemy is kind of yeah. the tall man the entire time. I, yeah, exactly. In some way, the tall man the entire time, even though there's a few moments where she's kind of not. Yeah, I know what you mean. It might not literally be the tall man. Whether it's an apparition or some kind of, I don't know, vestigial of the tall man essence. Mm -hmm. He's fucking with Reggie. He's fucking with Mike. That's his thing. Yeah. Bringing up the studio didn't want, like, the surrealism and shit from the first one. Yeah, exactly. reminds me of the one thing that just sort of in a meta way as I was looking at the movie sort of started making me laugh because it was kind of apparent. Like, that it was just supposed to be a more straight-ahead... Like I said, from the get-go, when they just throw the dwarves at you from, like, minute two. Yeah, yeah, you're right. It's like, okay, you know, we're going way more straight-ahead with this. Everything in this movie kind of seems to be about giving you information. It does explain... Explain? Yeah. A lot more things make sense. Yeah, exactly. Like, they're spelled out for you. But I thought the funniest part was, like, you could tell that they were trying to make it this more generic movie... But there was only so much they could yeah. because of how weird the first one was. Exactly. Yeah, you cannot completely diverge from that story, especially when you're picking up right where it left off. Yeah, there was only so much that they could railroad it over into being this other thing. And they could never quite fully get it there because of how weird the first one was. Exactly. I don't know. Something about that just made me laugh because... You would have this sort of straight-ahead road trip movie going, and then you're still having to go into them being sucked into another dimension by the yeah, end of the movie. Yeah, that's completely like Lovecraftian, and it doesn't follow very logical set of rules. Yeah, and having to deal with just all of the uncertainty that the tall man brings, and that's not something that the studio could fully get rid of because <laughs> no. that's what they're signing on for—is this character with the tall man. So yeah, exactly. 
I mean, they would not have reprised those characters and roles had they wanted a different film. Mm -hmm. So, I don't know. There was something about that that makes this movie kind of just weirdly enjoyable just by itself. Just that overall tone that it has to take where it's like, we're trying to make this extremely weird thing (laughs) mainstream. Yeah, exactly. But here's something, too, with that. You already mentioned that Universal, this is like the lowest budgeted film, maybe in the 80s that they backed, right? Mm -hmm. $3 million. And they knew they were going to make their money back. They had it, you know, wanting to be in the box office anyway, Mm -hmm. right? So what they did, and this kind of, this shows you... It was their (laughs) version. It was their version of doing what Golan and Globus with Canon Films did, where they would buy cheap scripts that they knew would return the little bit of investment that they I mean, made. it's kind of the Blumhouse model. Yeah. <laughs> but the point being was, is they kind of fucked them during the box office season. Mm. Is because they knew it was low budget, and there was a particular film that they wanted to push back because of production. So they're like, oh, we got a summer slot open. We'll push your movie forward, make it a blockbuster summer hit. And they talked about the fact that the films that they were stacked up against during that weekend were... I can't remember which Die Hard, but it was one of the Die Hards, and it was also going against Who Framed Roger Rabbit. Oh, jeez. Yeah. So even though it made its money back and a little bit more, what it did, unfortunately, for the actors is kind of derailed them because it was considered a box office flop Mm -hmm. that they couldn't further the franchise in terms of its blockbuster success, what it could have had, you know, Mm -hmm. had this been, say, like a Halloween or a fall release. Probably would have done like triple that. Yeah, Yeah. I would imagine. So anyhow, yeah. So the studio know they were going to make their money. They kind of fucked them over by stacking them against these other films. And like, we could care less. We made our money back. Yeah. Since I did see Mandy first, I thought it was really funny when there was that chainsaw duel where the graver just pulls out the longer chainsaw. Now, after seeing Mandy, it makes me wonder. If that wasn't directly. Yeah. Not only that, but probably some of the Texas Chainsaw Massacre too as well. Right. But this almost specifically. <laughs> yeah, I agree. Especially because it happens after Reggie fucks the tall man. <laughs> you can still sort of interpret it like you can in Mandy in the way of my dick is bigger. Yeah, exactly. I mean, that's the obvious comparison anyway. Yeah, but obvious. both of those movies have setups where it's like, my dick is bigger. So. <laughs> exactly. It's still sophomore humor. <laughs> just cleverly hidden <laughs> in plain sight. Yeah, so that definitely stood out, made me think of that. That sequence was pretty good. That was actually the only sequence in the film where Reggie didn't do his own stunt. And the only scene that was is where the guy swipes his chainsaw at Reggie's feet Mm -hmm. and he jumps. They do a cut shot, but that's the only part he did not do his own stunt in. Wow. That's including the Cuda ride, the flip and all of it, yeah. Oh, shit. That's cool. Way to be a badass, Reggie. Way to be a badass. (laughs) Speaking of badass, the mouse sphere was badass. Yeah. That was cool. The golden sphere when it... Yeah, dude. It's fucking dope. Was that sound about right? Anyway. <laughs> I do kind of wish that there would have been like more gore falling out his back, especially with the way that it sounded like it was slicing up his innards. But... Oh, dude. Well, that's another one, too. Because this film was part of Universal and because of the ratings board at that time, they talked about this, too. It was in the 80s. Censors were like kind of cracking down on what they could show, especially theatrical releases and whatnot. So there was a lot of stuff that was cut out gore part wise. And one of them was with the gold sphere where it goes through homeboy's back. Mm-hmm. And, you know, you can kind of see him thrashing around and whatnot, but they actually showed you more gore in the uncut part oh, portion okay. of that. 
Like you can actually see it dig into his back and bits of his back are blown out and stuff. Oh, see, that's what I wanted to see. Yeah, exactly. So all of that came down to the ratings board. They said they were pretty strict on the film, even though they did get away with some pretty good shots of gore and what have you. It was more political than anything at that time. When they get pulled into Tom Man's dimension or whatever it is. Yeah, exactly. Fucking man pussy planet. <laughs> I just sort of choose to imagine in my head that that's Dwarf Jody. <laughs> that's pretty good yeah dwarf jody that's funny i know jody does come back later and i don't know if it involves him being a dwarf at any time at point but as far as i recall i don't think so Damn yeah it. i know i hate to spoil that but that's it's a okay. one spoiler I'll in say. my head though i was just like yeah that could be dwarf jody but one, like, I to mean, just be tall man fucking with him even more <laughs> that's kind of neat too goes back into the backstory of the tall man and what these freaking minions, how they came to be, you mm-hmm. know, that's part of the body snatching, grave robbing business is he's shrinking them down. And some of that lends to the Mars theory of this film because it's the red planet and the gravity's more intense. So it shrinks things because of that. So that's what he's using it for is what they're imploring. Honestly, like the end, like everything was all cool and stuff, but they set it up really well. So you kind of knew what was coming anyway yeah there's a little bit of surprise that he got sphered in the head but it wasn't a surprise that it didn't really do shit <laughs> yeah. <laughs> yeah he just kind of crunches that up oh, that, that was badass like, dude oh, that was a fucking badass moment him just yeah fuck <laughs> um, my last note is the last bit of the movie i thought was dope just the ending again on the no it's not yeah did you see at that point when she pulled up in the hearse the series of events were going to unfurl like that oh absolutely yeah it's kind of lending a sound. I think even when she gets into it and hot wires it, you know there's something off. Like you're just waiting for either the tall man to snatch her up or one of the minions to snatch her up or something of that magnitude. But it doesn't go there. No. Until the end. I want to see three now. I want to see the rest of them. Now. Yeah. Three, arguably, I would say neck and neck with one. Those two of them are definitely my favorite of the series. Yeah, I want to see it all end out. More importantly, I kind of feel like... This is a series that could be rebooted by the right people. I totally agree. I know J.J. was interested at one point. I would love for him to reconsider that because of the way that this franchise, it took so long to come together. Like, try to give it some kind of resolve. And a large part, because this film was made. If it wasn't for the fact that this film was made or no one gave a shit interest in it, the first one would have concluded everything, where mm-hmm. Coscarelli's like, you know, in my mind at that time was the bad man wins, you know, the tall man wins, end of story. Until, of course, he got pitched and Universal was on board. And, and he was working with some really cool people. I've already mentioned DP, the editor, the people imposing music, the fact that Robert Kurtzman and Greg Nicotero on board. Did you mention who was almost... James LeGros part? No, there's two people I want to mention. Yeah. So we've already talked about that James LeGros, the only time ever in the series that a different actor plays the main character of Mike is in this film. So A. Michael Baldwin, they said that he was out of like acting for nine or ten years at that point, mm-hmm. right? And the studio is like, yeah, we want a, someone who's active right now. So with the auditioning process... Where I talked about the fact that LeGros got the part, but Brad Pitt auditioned for the part. Here's the thing that's interesting about that is when asked Coscarelli at first, he's like, he didn't even know who Brad Pitt was at the time, right? No, not a lot of people did. 
Apparently, it was Michael Baldwin was actually friends with Jennifer Aniston at the time. Mm. And this is when Brad Pitt and she were first dating. Okay. And he actually recommended Brad Pitt, you know, to play him. Wow. Yeah. So anyhow, long story short, Coscarelli forgot that he even had like an auditioning for it. He just said that he liked LeGros, like he just fit and he and Reggie just kind of hit it off. Like mm-hmm. the same kind of chemistry that Michael Baldwin had with him. So anyhow, I was thinking, it's like, man, how much different what this franchise had been had Brad Pitt been cast for that part. That's no discredit to LeGros because he did, you know, phenomenal. Yeah. yeah. He's a really solid actor. There were some scenes in it where it did make me giggle, especially that fucking whole sequence with him and Liz. Where he's like had this huge fucking oh geeky God. smile. Yeah. Like, God, man, really? <laughs> but long story short, I feel like because of Brad Pitt's star power now, this franchise would have a whole different fan base behind it. Mm-hmm. It's hard to determine like how you would stand had that been the case, but I kind of like the fact that this is still kind of like a cult kind of following. Yeah, because it came out and it's known for being a horror movie in the same time of the birth of the slashers. Yeah, exactly. And, it and just, he's still kind right of a weird boogeyman figure, but this series got way weirder yeah, than did. any of those did. A lot more weird because of that dreamlike state, just supernatural aspect of the film. Mm-hmm. Yeah, it just completely goes off the rails. And no answers for a lot of stuff for yeah, a long time. I like and that. And that was part, I think growing up was part of the frustrating part because I didn't understand that kind of quote unquote logic, you know, the kind mm-hmm. of storytelling. So as the series progressed, you know, like I kept being anxious about more, like how long is this going to take for the next one? And the next one will come. And then it took like 18, 17 years, basically mm-hmm. from the fourth one through Ravager and reading all like i'm not joking like after i've seen the fourth one because it's so weird i'm like man how the hell like this doesn't have any kind of closure Mm -hmm. right spoiler alert (laughs) but like i was reading all these different boards at one point alice cooper was said to be involved like all these names kept passing and you'd see like fan forums and you know this is early days of the internet so Mm -hmm. that was kind of fun and then when Ravager came out, there's this weird sense of like, I've been so far removed from the franchise in that time period, you need to kind of reintroduce yourself. So that's why I'm kind of glad we're doing these now. Right. Plus I've got the third one, I've got the fourth one, they're all Blu-ray. Shudder. forward to watching those. Yeah, Shudder. So if you want to do that, yeah, get the first one through the fourth one. You have to watch the second one your own kind of way. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, and, and uh, get caught up. So I'll, I think eventually in the next couple of weeks I'll probably do that. But another person I mentioned who also was in mind for a part. <laughs> and I was like, wow. Reggie had an audition for his part again. Right. And ooh, I think I know this one. Jeffrey Tambor. Jeffrey Tambor. And I was thinking, holy shit, can you imagine... Brad Pitt and Jeffrey Tambor were in this film together. <laughs> I can more easily imagine Brad Pitt than Jeffrey Tambor. Oh, no doubt. No doubt. Which yeah. sounds weird, but just with the way those parts play out, I can way more easily imagine <laughs> I was like, wow, Jeffrey Brad Tambor? Pitt than Jeffrey Tambor. Yeah. I was like, man, that was something I had no idea about. And I was like, wow, that would have been a completely different film. Completely different. Not the same in a good way, I don't yeah. think. I think it can be rebooted. It definitely can. It just took so long for everything to kind of... Finally finish. Yeah. Like I said, I haven't seen Ravager, so don't know how it finishes, if it finishes. Yeah, so I had like, at that point, like 30-something years invested mm-hmm. in this franchise. Like, I've probably seen Phantasm when I was, I want to say like somewhere between five and seven. 
And then when this came out, I was probably eight or nine at the oldest when I'd seen mm-hmm. this one. So yeah, I've got a lot of time invested in this franchise. Like I said, I know JJ was interested. I mean, other than the fact that I like when fans make stuff mm-hmm. because they're fans and so they like it and so they know what's important. Yeah, exactly. I just otherwise don't know. Maybe JJ, maybe not. I kind of feel like I would want somebody a little bit weirder attached. The upside to JJ is he loves his fucking mystery boxes, and this oh, is a point. franchise yeah. that you could leave mystery boxes all over the place. Yeah, you already mentioned the fact that because Liz and Mike have this connectedness, who's to say that there's not more people out there that right. have the same, right? And not only that, but we know that the tall man can reincarnate, too. That's another thing that kind of gets more explained as the franchise goes along. We know that he likes bald men. He likes bald men. He likes fucking dudes. <laughs> As chicks. I mean, whatever. Whatever floats his boat, you know? Who am I to question his sexuality? He's not even earthly for that matter. Right. So you have this really interesting universe that it's playing with, and you can go in a lot of different directions depending on the narrative, right? That's where I think you can get a fresh take, too. I mean, now I also really like sort of the Suspiria model of reboots, where yeah. you just take all the things that are important and make a new story. And that's okay. It worked for Suspiria. Mm-hmm. I think you just need very, very particular artists behind I that. And totally I don't, agree. I don't know who I necessarily would want working on Phantasm yeah, off the top of point. my head. Because I think some people would just make it too much theirs and not necessarily what I want to see. Yeah. From the series, you know what I mean? Like, yeah, exactly. Panos Cosmatos would be awesome, but I think I would then feel like I'm going to a Panos Cosmatos movie and not a Phantasm yeah, it, movie. Exactly, exactly. And well, there's nothing wrong with that, but you know you would get... I think in his universe, like, something completely bizarre, mm-hmm. you know, fantastical. Yeah, so it would be interesting. I mean, this is definitely one that could use it. The only uh, thing that I'm kind of curious, too, is if they decide to recast... For certain parts, are they going to keep Mike and Reggie and Jody? Or are they going to go with completely different faces and keep the tall man? I mean, I'd imagine you'd go completely different faces. And hopefully whoever is directing is cool enough to make sure that they at least get cameos. Yeah, that would be neat. You could do like a crossover or at least an acknowledgement like you were saying. Yeah, mm-hmm. yeah especially if they had somebody who was a fan I mean, even it. if it's like Easter eggs, you know, yeah. like referencing whatever. Yeah, that'd still be cool. And like I said... I also obviously haven't seen Ravager, so I don't know how that all ends. I know it was billed as, like, a final conclusion, but given the nature of the Tall Man, any reboot could just be a further along story of the Tall Man coming back somehow. Yeah, exactly. So you could always just reference events from these as having had happened. Previously. Yeah. <laughs> I, I don't know. There's lots of ways you could go about it. I think this one, I mean, obviously there's super fans of it, but you're a super fan of it, and you would yeah. like to see a reboot. Like, I don't think this is one of these ones that should be considered untouchable by no, any means. No, 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 This is, like, one that, because it's, it's fun. It's a fun franchise through and through. It's the, weird and science yeah, fiction-y. It really is. It deals with a lot of really cool stuff. Even on a more, like, cerebral, I guess, kind of thing, it's a huge metaphor for death and what happens after. Okay, this is a reach. What about a Ridley Scott phantasm? That'd be interesting. Oh, you know, <laughs> because of maybe character development, this is kind of a Joker, I guess, in my deck. Maybe a Brian Fuller's phantasm. Oh, ooh, a Brian Fuller phantasm. <laughs> I just know he's good with character development. Yeah, and he's good with adaptation because that first season of American <sighs> Gods is... Well, and we've got a little history of Fuller. <laughs> That's just a Joker in the deck. 
Well, yeah, and of course Hannibal, but yeah. I mean, it'd be kind of neat to see, like, even if it's a reboot as a television series, it'd be kind of interesting to do, too. Oh, absolutely. Fucking Reggie and Mike trying to catch up in the wake of the tall man. Yeah, I mean, that's perfect. That's an easy formulaic thing, but just play with the elements that's already been developed. He can only hit one town at a time, and it takes him a little bit to get his job done, but he's total destruction when he gets there. But he's got a, enough of a head start that it takes them a bit You're to right. finally and pin it like down. Said, you, you get the... That's a, a simple road trip. It's so it's simple. It's fucking supernatural. But the, like, the, the cool thing, like I said, you get people you meet along the road. Actually, scratch that. It's kind of just supernatural. But. <laughs> <laughs> uh, yeah. <laughs> but, you know, you know, you know what we say. But the thing that I like the most about this is the fact that this was almost 100 episodes away from being like how long it's been since we've revisited the series you know we would have waited a hundred exactly just because we were so close if it wasn't for the fact that next week we're starting in round two that's gonna be fun test your fright yeah i'm excited about that before we get a little bit more to that there's a few things i still want to talk about yeah yeah yeah, let's go and it's mostly just trivia bits but i think they're interesting nonetheless all right so you talked about sam raimi he was known to frequent the set of Phantasm Two. He was friends with Coscarelli. Mm. All right, so Kurtzman and Nicotero had worked on Evil Dead Part Two. That's what I'm saying. It's kind of a weird coincidence that I bought both Phantasm Two and Evil Dead Two from Phil Stevens, mm-hmm. not knowing the direct connection those two films had with each other. Right, and there was a gentleman that they were actually like a part of his crew at the time. They didn't have K and B until after this film. So the person that hired them, they actually helped run a studio for a while, but mm-hmm. this gentleman is Mark Showstrom, and he was the makeup special effects creator on some of like the tall man stuff, some of the minions and stuff like that okay. in this film. So he helped create a lot of the creature design and all that shit. Anyhow, he was referred by Sam Raimi because of his work, I said, on Evil Dead 2. And they talked about, this is Greg Nicotero extensively said that, you know, they just got off of, literally off the set of Evil Dead 2. So they were working with all this cool puppetry mm-hmm. and, you know, so they were getting like some big projects to work with and they were still just having fun being able to do all these things. And Nicotero talked about being on this. I think he worked on Dawn of the Dead, if I'm not mistaken. Okay. Yeah. And, you know, some of those projects. So he was an East Coast guy and he said he moved to L.A. and was starting to get these things because of Showstrom. And it was, I think, the film right after this film. It's called Intruder, but it had a different name. But uh, Sam Raimi and I think Bruce Campbell and like some pretty big names were on it. And that's when they formed the K&B Studios. But just some of the stuff that they were creating, like so the stuff for the tall man, mm-hmm. like how they got all those blotter effects because of Dick Smith and scanners. They were oh, using right. that. It was, it was kind of a nod they were paying to him. With yeah. the eye explosions and all that shit. So that was kind of cool. They talked about the guy, too, who originally created the spheres. His name, it was uh, Willard Green. He passed away like shortly before the film was released. And so they brought in a new designer, and that guy, his name was Steve Patino. And he liked gold. He liked gold and silver. Like, that was his. They said, okay, so in the first one, you only get one in the mausoleum sequence. Mm-hmm. This one, you get three of them. And yes, did the gold they seem one. dumber in this one to you? They seem very simplistic, yeah. uh, except for the gold one, of course. But yeah, even the effects were like, eh. yeah, when it stuck into Angus's head, yeah, it was like, ooh, yeah, it's not the it's not the greatest because of, there was a lot of practical effects too. Mm-hmm. But 
he designed the gold sphere and they had a nickname for it. They called it the Rambo sphere because of the carnage it left in that dude's mouth. <laughs> Not the golden snitch. I <laughs> knew. So another guy that works... That's a snitch you don't want to catch. No, god damn. Could you imagine that? No, no thank you. Um, He's substituted into a fucking Quidditch match. <laughs> See what happens. Yeah. No, I thought it was cool. Like they said, they had a nickname for that gold sphere. And that one seemed to be far more sinister. And they kind of built a little bit more upon the spheres in their role in the later films, which mm-hmm. is cool. Like, I'm glad they finally got from saying, okay, where the fuck did that thing come from? To now there's three of them, so you know there's a connection somehow. Back to the tall man. And like I said, the further you get into them, the more and more they're important to the story. Right. But yeah, he had a young assistant who wound up doing like some really cool films afterwards, special effects-wise. Uh, the kid was 15 years old at the time, and... His name is Steve Cotroneo. So I was like, that's pretty cool. And the designs of the spheres came about because Coscarelli is a huge fan of Philip K. Dick. He got inspiration from a short story, and it was entitled Second Variety. It talks about like these mechanical things called crawlers, I think they're called, okay. that come after you. And he just envisioned himself being chased by these things in a mausoleum. So that was his inspiration for that. Cool. Yeah, so we talk about with directors and writers, etc., all the different influences that you bring to the table, how you show it or express it in art form. And here's right off the bat, we talked about Stephen King, Philip K. Dick. I think even with Edgar Allan Poe with Phantasm, he said that I think it's in his writings he liked to use that term Phantasm. Mm. And, you know, he's like, it can mean a lot of different things depending on how you want to interpret it. So that's what I'm saying. This film just has a really cool nod to a lot of things. Oh, with Sam Raimi, too, with the Ash sequence. Mm-hmm. You know, you see the little bag with his name. I was like, yeah, that's pretty cool. That was neat. Yeah, so he's paying attention to that. There's also a Robocop reference in this film. Oh, uh, Alex Murphy. Yeah. Yeah, so I saw that. That's pretty dope. So just little stuff like that is kind of neat, too. Yeah, that was one of the headstones. That was the yeah, one that was for that Grandpa. Was, yeah. For Grandpa. So it was neat, man. Like, this film, even like, like as a standalone film, if you've never seen the first one. No, this one still works for Yeah, the it most still part. works because they still give you enough backstory in the beginning to where it's easy to pick up. Kind of like, you're not, not going to know the whole story, but you can kind of figure out what the hell's going on. Right. Somewhat. It makes more sense than the first one does. Yeah, because the first one's, it's a clever mess, but it works because it's such a strong story, mm-hmm. you know? But yeah, this one's a fun one. I highly recommend it in the series. Third one's a lot of fun. The fourth one I need to rewatch. That one's super bizarre. It won't be 99 episodes before we get to the third one. <laughs> yeah, that one really holds a special place. But that being said, though, we have a lot of stuff planned coming up that we do that we are pounding through first. So yeah, we're going to pound it, keep pounding it. But yeah, I'm glad we took the time out to revisit this franchise. For me, it was a nice trip down memory lane and learning some really cool stuff in between about this film. Yeah, I agree. This was dope. I liked this movie. I also like what we're doing next week. Dude. <laughs> Test your fright. Group one. Round two. Round one. <laughs> film one. <laughs> film, one. film one. Yeah. Film one. If you've been keeping up with our Test Your Fright series, they all agreed to move on to the second round where we're going to turn up the extremeness a little bit. Hell yeah. In some ways, Terrifier is more extreme than Ichi. But I think Ichi yeah. covers on a wider range of extreme topics. Totally. A lot more taboo. A lot more taboo. And that's our feel-good. Oh, yeah. It hits us right in the feels. No, I mean, that's kind our of feel Ichi's good. feels, that's too. Our, <laughs> that's our feel-good of the upcoming round. It really is. That's the uh, intro. 
that's going to be the first week because it's a two-hour movie. <laughs> if yeah, and, and I expect, I honestly expect them all to make it through Ichi. Yeah, we'll I talk agree about that. that more next week. But I agree. I, agree. I think that's going to happen. Yeah, it's fun. I'm glad that we got a, a quick turnaround too. Like, you don't want to have too much of that lull time to get them prepared, or maybe they just who knows. Right. I'm really enjoying it, even if I'm wondering if they're ever going to tap out. <laughs> I mean, Some of the, ta- the takes from these these newbies have been awesome. Oh, yeah. Um, and just getting to watch them go through this experience. So, fuck you guys if you don't like it. Anyway. <laughs> I mean, I'm having, I'm having a blast. For one reason, if you know nothing else, is that we're introducing one of our favorite hobbies, one of our favorite genres, to people who are typically don't well into this stuff so in a way i feel responsible for what they're watching and guiding them through what we like and their nightmares yes sorry dylan it's okay we're dream catchers <laughs> that'll be next week then the week after we're going to be trying to hit hereditary oh dude so much fun and possibly have a shit ton of guests there's a like, lot of people who want to talk about that film with us so we'll see what we can get set up for that Maybe we just end up covering it twice with two different groups of people. Fuck. Yeah, I, mean, I, I think it all depends on on fun. who's available or who's not. But yeah. I do feel like we should talk about it sooner rather than later so that I, I can talk about it. Yeah, so it's still fresh. And then it'll hopefully be the final round of Ooh. Test Your Fright the week after that. Once again, we have to coordinate everybody's schedule. But exactly. so far, Monday seems to be working extremely well. So yeah, exactly. more than likely, we have the next three weeks planned. That's what the plans are. We hope you enjoy them. (laughs) In order to keep enjoying them with us, please hit subscribe however you're listening to us right now. If it happens to be up on Apple, we would really appreciate it if you left a review as well. That actually helps get the word out as well and helps us be considered for other promotions and that sort of shit. You can always hit our website, www.friedsquirms.com. There are links to the ways to listen to us up at the top, the latest episode streaming down at the bottom, in between links to the Insta, to the Twitter, to the Facebook. You can always contact us through the website or at squirmcast at gmail.com. I don't think I forgot anything. No, I think you hit all the Other than that I love you all. Aww. We have been trying to use the gram more. Like, if you want to keep up with what we're doing, it would behoove you to at least follow the gram. Because we slowly are like coming out of the dark ages and figuring out how to use it more and more. So I totally agree with that. Yeah, we're a little bit more active on the gram, like you said. But once again, if you wanna, you know, give us a holler, if you wanna give us some recommendations, suggestions, if you like what we're doing, if there's things we can change, let us know. We'd like to hear from you. Holla. Holla. Yeah, but in the meantime, like Tyler said, I love you guys. Yeah, I'm Tyler. I'm Danny. Fried Squirms. Out.